Welcome to Living Social Justice Podcast, an initiative of Common Ground Church and Common Good, where we explore our lifestyle response to topics of social justice. Our hope is that a growing number of Christ followers begin to individually and collectively live out justice, creating a groundswell of positive change in our society. Hi, I'm Sharon from Common Good, and I'll be hosting this episode in our Living Social Justice story series. So maybe just for those who might be listening in for the first time, this is a podcast series where we try to tell diverse stories across our Common Ground congregations and even outside of Common Ground, Christ followers in Cape Town who have a story to tell about them as an individual or a small group or a family and recognizing um, the impact that the gospels had on their life, recognizing the God that they see in the Bible to be a God of justice, and what does that mean for them in their lifestyle response? How do they respond to the world that they are finding themselves a part of, and particularly in our city and in our generation and with our historical past, how do they apply their faith to their life? So this morning I have Tim and Natasha here with me, the Hoffmans. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Yeah, thanks for having us. So Tim and Natasha Hoffman are from Common Ground Church South Penn, and you've made it all the way across Okapsavach to join us on this side of the mountain. Yes. <laughs> it's a long journey. Yeah. <laughs> Needed a passport. <laughs> Crossed over to the other side. So um, for those of you listening in, you can pick up the American accent that, um, that we enjoy with the Huffmans. So I think there's a story there. Maybe you want to start with that. Tell us a bit about how you found yourselves in Cape Town. And um, yeah. Sure. Well, there's always uh, more to say about um, the background than what we'll probably share. But really, uh, what we oftentimes uh, mention right away is that Natasha is not American. <laughs> she is actually South African um, and an Afrikaans South African, in fact. Um, but it was our our story began really when we first met, which was in 20, uh, 2002 in the States. And um, so we actually met there. Natasha was had just completed a 13-month au pair uh, year, and we had met in church one fateful evening, <laughs> and the rest is history, as we say. Um, Did you say fateful or faithful? Faithful. <laughs> oh, yeah. of it. it depends on who you're asking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So next week, we in fact, we, we, we celebrate 14 years of marriage, and um, wow. it's been an incredible journey. We've been living in South Africa for eight years, mm-hmm. eight years already. And before that, a f- couple years in London, and then before that, of course, the States. Um. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think our journey started in the U.S., but I think it's really picked up. Um, we, in 2010, we took a trip from London to Cape Town, and it was um, through the Middle e- Europe, the Middle East, and then Africa, and it, um, I think that strengthened our relationship and, um, yeah, and our belief and our faith, I think, really through that journey. And I'm sure living in different countries impacted your, just your view of the world and your... Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think as a South African, living outside of the U.S., um, I, 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 living outside of South Africa in the U.S., I had the opportunity to really see, um, yeah, I think new eyes, fresh eyes mm. coming back. And I think some things that we maybe sometimes sweep under the carpet or just ignore or maybe not even realize because it's just so normal. When you live in a different culture, then all of a sudden you realize that's not normal and we need to pay attention to that wow. or we need to be aware of that. And I think um, I might be skipping ahead, Sharon. Yeah, but fine. I think one of the things that, that grabbed me um, in 
in this journey of um, trying to live justice was actually when I lived in the US, um, new, I was 19 years old, and I watched a documentary on um, South Africa, and it was an American perspective. And it just gripped me so much as, as, you know, a white South African who have not really had to care about anything um, we've always had. And, and I saw the poverty for the first time because in my sheltered worldview, I've never been into a township at that point. So um, my world was rocked um, to see Americans care so much about us, our Your people, mm-hmm. and our people. And mm-hmm. so, um, yes, yeah, so I think that was the first part, where the first time that actually was gripped and just felt like my life was changed forever. I could not do something or live in a way that um, that had to be a part of it. But since then, God's had to uh, to teach me to approach it humbly and not be the Savior. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> think that I'm the Savior. So, yeah. That's not an uncommon story. That's most <laughs> of our stories is to... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, listen carefully to what, what God's saying. So when I joined Common Good, Tim, you were already working here, particularly in the employment initiative of um, right. TZN. But you'd worked more generally across Common Good before that. And then just getting to know you, realizing both of you'd actually worked for Living Hope before that. So maybe just tell us a bit more. I mean, we've heard about kind of some of the God moments, but how did you find yourself in an NGO development kind of space. I mean, Tim, you previously a, an engineer by profession. Help us figure out. Um, connect the dots. Connect the dots. There we mm, go. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, so I was working as an engineer in the US, and um, it was in 2004, December, when the church we were part of, where we met and married, uh, Natasha and I, w- six months into marriage, there was an opportunity to go on a short-term mission trip to Cape Town, South Africa. And we didn't know any other details. It was one of those where many other churches were involved and um, we hadn't really seen the detail. But um, we really felt like this was the opportunity, uh, for, first of all, for Natasha to return right, uh, and okay. see lots of family members she hadn't seen uh, and reconnect. And then, of course, for her to bring her hubby <laughs> for the first time and introduce him to her, her country. And, and uh, it, that's not the way it worked out. Um, yeah. As it were, uh, Natasha couldn't leave the country because we were waiting on some uh, residency papers. Um, but tearfully, but um, proudly, uh, Natasha released me to go on this trip with about 30 other people. And um, when we landed, I, uh, I let her know as I was learning our surroundings and rang her that night and said, Tash, do you know anything about Nurtuk? <laughs> and Fishhook. Do, do, do any of those places ring a bell? And then I also said, the organization, the, the Call Living Hope, do you know anything about that? And um, she was a bit silent on the phone for a little bit, and I thought I'd lost her. And then she responded. Well, I said, Tim, that you don't know this, but before I met you, I had a clear calling from God to work in the Fishhook Valley wow. um, with an organization called Living Hope. And that I knew that that's where I was supposed to go. But then I met an engineer and I thought, well, he's not into full-time ministry. How is this going to work? And I trusted that God's going to do this and even folded up that little dream and put it in a, in a wow. box. And yeah, God's so faithful that he took Tim there on his own. And I think we, we both know now that if Tim went with me, he, um, he wouldn't have owned it. Mm. And so God really took him on his own. And, and yeah, I mean, Beautiful. the rest, you know, after that is that he changed his career path after that. So, yeah. Beautiful. So now you find yourself as part of the 
South Penn congregation and you're serving on the eldership team of that congregation. Yeah. And you also give leadership to the social justice ministry team. Um, so that is a number of portfolios. So tell us a bit more about what that looks like in the Valley. What does that look like for that congregation? Um, what is happening in the justice space in the Valley? Well, it, it, it goes without saying, but we have such a heart for this valley. Uh, we wouldn't be there if, if that wasn't the case. And um, and my time with Common Good was such an opportunity, and, and for us together, even though I was the one taking the job, to, to give myself to what the local church was doing in response to poverty and justice. Okay. That was the primary motivator for us mm. to begin to be more involved. I mean, we had been working with Living Hope, a wonderful organization, well-established there in the Valley um, for two, two and a bit years. And then we became parents, and then we had to make some decisions over role changes and, and um, new life seasons. And Common Good really, uh, we had started to go to Common Ground, and we learned about Common Good in the process. And then as a result, we learned its model of working through the local church to affect change using um, the average uh, churchgoer and church um, and Christ follower to actually be part of the response to uh, some of the social uh, giants in the city and that it didn't have to be um, quitting our jobs and, and going into full-time ministry or didn't have to, to mean um, more, I suppose, um, major changes in life, but as I gave some time and leadership and common good, we were just so excited about helping people. We realized a lot of our opportunity was that we were on a journey ourselves. We learned a lot, but we certainly hadn't and still haven't arrived. Sure. But we're, we're really enjoying this space of not just as church leadership, which is such an honor and a privilege to serve that way, but to, to be part of the social justice ministry team now, um, to help give leadership into that space uh, uh, and, and to help point people along their journey. Everyone we've noticed is in a different place because of their backgrounds, because of where they've come from, because of their life's experiences. And we've really enjoyed the, well, the diversity in helping people uh, just con continue to, to take steps forward in their yeah. journey and response, uh, particularly as it relates to the Fishhook Valley. Yeah, Natasha, maybe if I can ask you, so just as Common Good supports these kind of nine social justice ministry teams, one in each congregation, it's been fascinating to see the uniqueness of each mm. context. Mm. And I know we've spoken a lot about what's unique to the valley. Mm. And, um, and so you're almost facing issues or mm. um, different problems and different mm. opportunities to mm. other SJM teams. Mm. But one of the things we've spoken a lot about is just how um, geographically different mm. and diverse that valley is mm. and what you often call a microcosm of South Africa. Maybe you want to mm. speak into that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's, if it's not a complete microcosm of South Africa, it's definitely a microcosm of Cape Town, yes. representing so many different um, cultures and backgrounds. Um, it's also, you know, it's a, it's very diverse in age as well. It's not a, um, an area that's mostly for young families. You know, it's a, we definitely have every age group represented. So our congregation um, by nature is very diverse as a result of that. Um, we, I think we all want it to be even more inclusive and um, more diverse. So we're working as a congregation on, on that and how we can um, yeah, be inclusive. So 
we yeah we find that you know when we go to pick and pay i always explain it this way when we go to pick and pay is the way that you see the valley the best because if you go to pick and pay in other parts of the city or even in the country um it it tends to be a little bit more homogenous of the people that are there or there's a dominant culture that mm. that is present in the shops and um when you come to a pick and pay in you know in Nurtuk Long Beach Mall mm-hmm. um it is completely diverse and you interact with people from every walk of life and i think that that's what we actually want our church to be like mm. eventually is to represent what you know long beach mall looks like and and that people can feel welcomed um mm. from every every background but yeah i think our our church as a result is in a very interesting journey because there are people that are in need that mm. are in our congregation there are people that are extremely wealthy that are in our congregation um and i think you know we we're trying to figure out how do we do this um without it being a needs based or a a financial based um ministry we want it to be based on a complete like everyone everyone is called by the gospel to live out justice and it doesn't matter how much you have or how much you don't have is how do we interact with our neighbors um how do we interact with people around us and that justice is just you know we we're currently doing the justice journey um on our side and it's just the way things ought to be and mm. we we would like our our congregants to feel like they or our people in our church community to feel like they know how to live out justice and to see things the way it ought mm. to be in a representation of of yeah of kingdom living i guess that is such a beautiful thing that you almost get to watch people experience through the justice journey is mm. kind of this five week transformative process that's very personal and very challenging and very difficult but at the same time it kind of highlights how the change that we want to see it's not going to happen without really um, genuine and authentic discipleship mm. that for me it probably has been the biggest eye-opener is mm. Um, for so many of us, we want change, but we don't know what we don't know. We don't understand mm. how ignorant or um, how many blind spots we have. Mm. And there's actually that fundamental and very critical mm. discipleship process mm. that we have to go on mm. and that that's not something that anyone can force me to go on. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That mm. someone could force me to do the justice journey mm. and I could arrive to these four Monday night workshops, but I can't, they can't force my heart to engage, but where people do allow their hearts to engage and uh, they allow their mindsets to be challenged and they, they process their Mm. past and they start to listen to other people's stories. Mm. Um, a Mm. real discipleship change happens. Mm. What has been your experience just Mm. running justice journeys in your home? Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head there because, um, you know, one of the ways that you guys have explained the justice journey to us is the best way that we've been able to relate it to people as well, that everyone's on a journey and they're in different stages of the journey as well. Um, And when you're in this justice journey um, course, you you have different perspectives. Everyone has different perspectives. Or, you know, the area that we live in, there are a lot of people that have done, um, they've set up NGOs, they've they've been working in the development space because when you have an informal settlement and you have um, you know a community that's been there because um, they mo- were moved there during um, the 60s, hey, yeah, yeah um, forcibly moved to this area. They were moved from the beautiful farmland and they were plopped there. And there's a lot of hurt and anger and 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 the past there that people are moving. Um, 
forward and needing to move forward. Yeah. Um, but because of that, when we do a justice journey, someone may actually have lived in those communities and grown up in that area. And so they, their, their perspective of, of justice is completely different. different. Mm. But if you're someone who grew up, um, you know, like I did with white privilege, my perspective is completely different as well. And it's amazing. It's been so amazing to hear people's stories and to come together in one space and share our stories and learn from each other. Mm. But to also respect each other and to respect each other's journey that we're also trying to figure this out and um, I don't think we ever arrive but you know you might be at step 50 or you might be at step five on this journey and sometimes you move forward and you spiral back you know <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you take a knock um, yeah. and then you spiral back and I think that's what we've seen is just people on this journey mm. and that's the beauty of the justice journey that it is a personal journey like you said mm. um, that it's not about them, um, you know, engaging with a class that they're getting all the tools that, um, how am I going to be able to do this that I, then, you know, I feel like God's calling me to this. How am I going to do this? But it's actually just engaging with their heart and with God and understanding mm-hmm. who he's made them, um, to be and who he's made others to be and how we relate to each other. And it's just at the end, it's just reacting in love and yes. responding in love. Um, maybe you want to highlight just some of the what have been the highlights for you as an SJM team in the Valley? What have been, um, maybe there's some lowlights too. <laughs> um, are there some stories that you want to share? Yes, I mean, as as we formed the team, um, we were just so so privileged to actually have already had a footprint into the space of uh, uh, education. Right. Uh, I think we're going on five years now, if I'm not mistaken. I think maybe four um, where um, Liz Oosthuizen had been giving leadership and still does into um, the literacy support program in Kleinberg Primary yeah. School in Ocean View. And, and it's not just about the program, which has now expanded and has uh, mobilized do- literally dozens of volunteers, both from Common Ground and both from the other local churches, and even some of those, some of those who are still on a journey of faith as well are, are, gi- are helping to help. Um, and it's just a wonderful little thing. But what it's also done is, is helped establish a trust relationship, and a trust relationship with, a, with a beacon mm. in the school, that being uh, Kleinberg Primary. And it, it has, um, it's just a wonderful thing where we look forward to seeing that continue to flourish and grow and finding new ways of getting the, the church involved. And I think that's where we, we as the team are, are feeling, the, um, feeling the pull and feeling the um, um, challenge is how do we get the wider congregation the average person is sitting on, in a meeting on Sunday to be actively involved in an initiative that may, they may not have time to to go and give their two right. hours mm. of volunteer time, but how can they, and, and they may not be, you know, in a position to give financially or whatever, but how can they be actively involved in other ways so that we as a body, as a, a gathered community, can can go on this relationship uh, journey together with, with another um with a, a fellow neighbor. Right. And I think what's been very cool as well is, um, you know, we have an eldership team that's um, very passionate about justice. I mean, Liz is, um, you know, Mike's wife and on the team as well. And um, Luke approached um, you guys at Common Good to say, can we do a small group justice journey? And it was right. called... Um, yes. At the time, it was Justice Journey 101. And I think it was, yeah. Foundations for Justice. That's right. And so they, we ran that in all the small groups. And so I feel like 
the majority of our our community has gone through a Something. a uh, a mm. a justice journey of some sort. Now the justice journey has changed a lot since yes. then, and it's been become you know very um, more in depth. and And I def- definitely encourage people to do that. Um, in addition to that, um, but I think as a as a congregation, we've been on this journey, and we've we've been going forward, and then we've had um, you know yes. some setbacks and things that have yeah just not gone like we had hoped to but for the most part i feel like the majority of our congregation lives and strives to live a life of some sort of justice mm. everyone doesn't always feel like they get it and i and we we hear the conversations all the time and we have the conversations all the time but people are are genuinely trying um i think they get overwhelmed you know they drive past kailicha once and they feel like Oh, this is so heartbreaking, yeah. um, or overwhelming, and don't know where to to engage or how to start. Or, um, you know, you drive into a community that's unlike your own, and you feel like I'm a I'm a fish out of water. How do I engage? Mm. Or I'm not welcome. Mm. And I think we've just been really trying to walk a journey with people to say, find what it is that God's gifted you with. Mm and see how you can make a difference for the people and luke uses this all the time in the shade of your tree right you know those people that you engage with at the robots those people that you engage with in the shops um, at your home at work yes that are unlike yourself how do you treat them and do you um you know treat them with love and dignity and engage and i think that that's our kids are watching that's i think is the biggest thing that we've noticed is that what are we modeling to the children and if we're going to see change in our country, if we're going to see change in our in our you know in our world, um, how are we engaging that our kids are going to be modeling after? They can live differently to us. Beautiful. Um, so maybe on the, off the back of that, one of the key areas that we'd love to see what, what we call SJM success. You know, what would success look like if all the SJM teams were were functioning really well? And I think South Penn is a is a beautiful example of that. We say that a key area is in discipleship. So Success would be congregants discipled towards living justly as individuals, as families, like you're saying, modeling it to our children and um, impacting the spaces around us, having a sphere of influence, which sounds all beautiful and neat and um, clean and easy to implement um, <laughs> and, and really isn't. Yeah. So, so what would you say, I mean, you've been at this for most of your li- your adult lives and your married life. You've seen this from different perspectives and different contexts what are the barriers for people's discipleship journey what are the things that get in the way because often it's not it's not that people don't want to engage it's not that people don't want to see change mm-hmm. it's not that we don't um yeah w- want to move in the right direction but there are definite barriers that hinder us from engaging or that stall us or delay us what are the things that you've seen as leaders in that space do you know what? Um, we didn't mention what we did at Living Hope, but for those those two years or so, we 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 coordinated volunteers, both individuals and and groups, um, both local uh, um, residents and international um, visitors. And what was interesting in our time of doing that, which was a great um, privilege to to lead, was and also also as being leaders ourselves of teams for about five years yeah. before with the time short term for two three weeks come into a space that's not your own experience in a cross-cultural um, uh, space and and then a- attempting to to contribute right. in a meaningful way 
uh, that does no harm. And and what I noticed, and Tashi may have a different opinion, but I think we share in in the same say is I think it's easier to board a plane, fly into right. a country that's not your own mm. for a couple of weeks, even a couple of years. Uh, yes, there are challenges, no question. We I've lived it, and and um, so there's there are challenges. I think that's actually arguably easier than for for me to wake up out of my own home and bed and place where I call home and, and a country where I call home and roll up my sleeves and get to work. I think it's because of the relational dynamic. I think when you visit, um, I think you're kind of on a high. It sounds a bit of a kind of a trip, but it's, you're on a, you're on a you're, you know why you're there. You know why you've come. You may have raised money. Others have given to to make it possible for you to to even get there. Yeah, you've so you that come space in a position in diary where you can focus. You've, you've literally made time mm. for it, mm. and I think that's the challenge. That's mm. the challenge is for us in our own local space, and that's why we often challenge those coming to visit and ourselves. Is would we do this with the same uh, bravado and, and, and enthusiasm motivation. in our mm -hmm. own local neighborhood. And mm -hmm. it's very cool to see. I think a, a big win was for when people saw this, but then they translated this back home to wherever they were from and saying, I, God's called me not here. He's called me for three weeks here, but he's called me here for an indefinite period of time back, back home. I think I'm going to start to change some lifestyle, wow. make some lifestyle changes. Mm -hmm. So I think to answer your question um, in, in succinctly is, it's it's hard when we wake up in the morning. First of all, in a place like Cape Town, where there is no shortage of of need, of of um, complexity, of injustices, yeah. we literally drive past it every day, um, and we don't know where to begin. We're overwhelmed, and it's not just like a large community like Kailicha, which has much to offer, but also much um, to to uh, to grow uh, from. It's also to basically find ourselves in a place where, where am I? This yeah. sort of um, missional call in a geography sense. Yeah. And then therefore then, what can I do? And sometimes it's the smallest thing. In our heads, we think, well, that's not enough. But actually, that is, that is maybe just enough for now and move and build on that. So um, just listening to you talk, I'm just inspired by um, so much of... of our plans are around inspiring and equipping and mobilizing the church. And so listening to you talk now, Tim, that's really encouraging to me that I think even though it's difficult, we're on the right track in terms of the local church being the key is that it's got to, it's got to come through our day-to-day, week-to-week discipleship journey to actually mobilize Christ followers out of their day-to-day Rhythms to actually see what's going on around them, to notice and engage and respond. Mm. Natasha, do you want to do you want to add anything to that? I was going to say, as a South African, I think um, that was probably the biggest. Um, you know, for me, is this is home, and mm. to adjust to to doing ministry at home, um, I disqualified myself immediately. I'm a white African South African. Who am I? What have I got to to offer or give? Um, you know, I. I'm not welcome um, in in spaces, and that's actually so not true. Um, God has been so amazing in the way that we've been able to, um, yeah, just move along and 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 journey with people of all walks of life. Um, you know, we've been so privileged in the in the 
relationships that we have in our life. Um, but I think I think most people that I interact with um, struggle with the sense of guilt mm-hmm. and a, a guilt and or a shame and not knowing how to move forward in that. And I think that, um, you know, I've heard someone say that, you know, apartheid has damaged everyone. Um, you know, some have benefit, benefited from it and some have been um, disadvantaged by it. And I think as white South Africans, we, we have to acknowledge the fact that, you know, we have benefited, um, and but we struggle with this guilt and not knowing how to respond and not how to engage mm. and how to use our privilege, yeah. So mm. I think it's a, it's a tough topic to talk about in a podcast, but I think, you know, God's really given us an opportunity to say, okay, this is, this is who we are today. This is the experiences that we've had in the past. Who do we want to be tomorrow? And who do we want to surround ourselves with? Who do we want our family to engage with and and live with, you know, and and be in relationships with? And that's, it's so easy once you just get over yourself, really. (laughs) Seriously. Because then you just, you live out what... take the first step. Exactly. And I think, you know, someone recently gave us a word of the Samaritan woman and at the well and how Jesus made his way there specifically where no one else would go. And I think that it's so beautiful that, that mm-hmm. we, we so disqualify ourselves from doing anything, but that's exactly where Jesus wants to move is where it's someone unlike yourself that no, one, that, that no one else is going to and reaching out to. So who I are the Samaritan women today, you know? Your story is so inspiring, guys. Thank you so much for giving up time and just being so vulnerable in your story and with your lives and the way you're raising your children and impacting your church and community. Um, and I know your story inspires many. Um, for those of you listening, if you want to find out more about what's happening in South Penn or you want to find out about your SJM team and what they're up to and how you can get involved, I'd encourage you to check out the Common Good website, um, www.commongood.org.za, and you can look under the Living Social Justice tab and find out all about SJM ministry and how you can contact your social justice ministry team. There's also usually a notice board or a desk or some kind of space that promotes what the SJM team are up to and what's happening in your neighborhood that is available on a Sunday in your congregation space. So look out for that on Sundays. Um, but otherwise listen in again next Monday for the next episode in our Living Social Justice series If you've enjoyed this episode subscribe to our channel Living Social Justice on Apple Podcast and SoundCloud You can also find more resources on our website commongood.org.za including our Justice Journey courses devotional content and volunteer opportunities Bye for now